President Biden facing an uphill climb on two key goals, including his massive infrastructure plan and his goal of vaccinating 70% of the country by the 4th of July. Today, we'll hear from Senator Todd Young, plus State House Speaker Todd Houston and State Rep Greg Porter on the latest jobs report and the impact here in Indiana. All that, plus a look at who may or may not be running for governor. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning. President Biden overseas this weekend for his first foreign trip as president. But he's facing some big challenges back home. While the overall situation with the pandemic is getting a lot better, it's looking more and more like the president may fall short of his goal to have 70 percent of the country vaccinated by the 4th of July. He's also faced some challenges getting his infrastructure plan through the Senate with a bipartisan group of senators now hoping to finally reach a deal. That's just one of the topics our Kristen Eskow addressed in a one-on-one -on -one interview this week with Indiana Senator Todd Young. We can still legislate in this country and do important things if we work together. Senator Todd Young says he's holding out hope Congress can pass a bipartisan infrastructure bill. I think the president should take an approach related to infrastructure like I'm taking with the Endless Frontier Act. Young sponsors that bill, which passed the U.S. Senate days ago on a 68-32 vote. He says it's meant to make the U.S. more competitive against China in science and technology. Ultimately, we need to outgrow, out-innovate, and out-compete the Chinese Communist Party. We can only do, do that by doing what we did post-World War II, which is investing in ourselves, our human capital, like we invested in the GI Bill. We invested in, in people's training and, and education. This is a bipartisan measure, the most sweeping, toughest, anti-Chinese Communist Party uh, piece of legislation ever. Getting tough is what Young says he wants to see from President Biden as he meets with Russian President Vladimir Putin this week. The trip to Europe comes not long after Russian criminal groups were linked to massive cyber attacks. One of the things that uh, the President of the United States must communicate uh, unambiguously to uh, Vladimir Putin, perhaps communicate through action, is that we can punch back harder than uh, we take a punch. Uh, we have an offensive cyber capability uh, that could really uh, be injurious uh, to Vladimir Putin uh, and to his cronies. Young says both government and private entities need to step up their cybersecurity. One of the things we have to recognize is the federal government uh, isn't hardened to the extent we should be. We need to get far better at operational security, that is making sure that uh, we're utilizing our devices and our computers in safe and secure fashions, that we have secure passwords, uh, and that we have all the hardware installed that's needed uh, to keep out others. In terms of being more outwardly facing and working with companies and individuals, we still have some work to do. And I look forward to working uh, with private industry and others uh, to, to uh, take whatever measures are necessary. Is that work regarding businesses going to need to include regulations to ensure businesses have the right protections in place? Well, it may. We need to only regulate with our eyes wide open and in a fully informed way. Congress tried to address this working uh, with uh, the administration several years ago. And at the time, a decision was made to uh, allow companies to voluntarily report attacks that they had uh, you know, experienced on their systems. We may have to rethink that. 
And Dan, of course, cybersecurity, a big topic at the G7. Yeah, no doubt about it this week. World leaders uh, talking about that and many other issues. A lot to talk about there with Senator Todd Young. Um, a lot to talk about at the State House this week as yeah, well. For sure. This week I spoke with House Speaker Todd Houston and State Representative Greg Porter. Both had a lot to say about the state's efforts to bring more jobs to Indiana. And I also asked Speaker Houston about some of the other big issues on his plate in the next few months. The most recent revenue report we saw, substantial gains in revenue and substantial uh, tax revenues collected that were higher than expected. What was your reaction to seeing that revenue report? Obviously very pleased. You know, the Indiana economy is, is, is running full steam right now. Uh, talking to employers, the biggest problem we have right now is finding more workers. So that's a great problem to have. But in the short term, we also have to really make sure we're skilling up our workforce. You know, there, there are all sorts of jobs available. Um, and, and skilling up our workforce for those advanced manufacturing jobs, those skilled labor jobs uh, is critical. And we're heavily focused on that. We've been focused on that. And coming out of the pandemic, uh, uh, we, we really hope that, that we can meet the needs of, of our employers. We always projected that we would have more revenues coming to the state of Indiana. Um, so many times we kind of lowball uh, what where our projections are. However, we saw that trending way back in the, in the last quarter of last year, uh, more revenues coming to the, the city uh, and to the state of Indiana. Uh, you know, with the stimulus dollars coming in, the American Rescue Act. What do you think that tells you about Indiana's economy right now? Well, our, our economy is, is, is doing well, as, as well as the country's economy. Um, I, at the rate that we're going, we're, we usually project about 5% growth. Uh, at this point, it looks like, uh, you know, through the federal government and the uh, dollars that we receive from them, our economy is going to grow uh, at least 7% or even more. There will be some ways that I think we may have to pivot because of, of all the dollars that, that the growth of the economy uh, what we're going to do with some of those dollars to help take care of uh, the people within the state of Indiana. And it's, it's something that I, I've said for the, uh, since last October, and particularly we're not broke. I think we're going to do better than what you anticipate. Um, the key point is that what happens once we reach uh, that $2.8 billion, almost $3 billion surplus, what are we going to do for the people of the state of Indiana? That's the bottom line. Are we going to sock it away and, and take it off the records and have a hip pocket type budget? Or are we going to look at minority health, other human infrastructure to, to generate capital needs or programs, uh, so trust funds, so we can take those dollars and help those individuals within the, the state of Indiana? Well, a lot of the Republican lawmakers have weighed in on IU's vaccine mandate. What are your thoughts? Does these current vaccine passport law ban public universities from requiring proof of vaccination? Well, I think the, the attorney general made clear that it does. Uh, House Bill 1405, uh, uh, you know, prevented that. I think, you know, I use her loud and clear for myself and uh, many people from out the state, around the state, so many people I've heard of that that you know, they have concerns with the policy that they've announced. I use, uh, began that process of walking that back. Uh, look, we're making progress every day on the pandemic. And I mean, you know, cases are dwindling. And, and uh, so, so I think, you know, there's, an, there's a middle ground on all this. I think IU is just trying to get the uh, needs to work itself back to that middle ground. Do you have any response on the governor's lawsuit against the General Assembly regarding your ability to bring yourselves back into session? I don't. Redistricting. Um, are there any concrete plans yet about 
whenabouts you'll be coming back into session for redistricting and what that process is going to look like. No, because we don't know officially when we'll get the data back. We've heard we might receive that data uh, at the back end of, of August. Um, we'll see if that holds true. We'll begin the process of doing statewide meetings and a listening tour uh, sometime this summer to get people's feedback on, on what they'd like to see. And we'll follow the process that we followed largely in 2011 as we did redistricting. But timeline is, is unsure yet. We really can't do anything until we, we have that data. Some people have been concerned about the fairness of the process. What would you say to them on that? You know, we will follow all federal and statutory uh, laws and regulations around it. Uh, I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable with it. All right, Kristen, that whole legal battle between uh, the governor and lawmakers, though, House Speaker didn't have much he wanted to say about that. Right, he didn't. <laughs> and of course, we could be hearing more next week about where things stand as the issue goes in front of a judge in Marion County on Wednesday. All right, Kristen, thanks. Welcome again. No doubt a lot happening for lawmakers this summer sure already. Thing. Normally a quiet time of the year, not so much this year. Right. Thanks for uh, having it all covered for us this week. Well, coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we're going to talk about the race to replace Governor Eric Holcomb, the AG, perhaps many other potential candidates lining up on both sides of the aisle. We'll take a closer look at that. And later, the effort to vaccinate more Hoosiers, how local health officials are trying to get more vaccinations out to younger age groups. Stick around. We'll be right back. All right, today we're talking about the race to replace Governor Eric Holcomb. A ways off, but a number of potential candidates seem to be lining up already on both sides of the aisle. I'm joined today by Insider's Adam Wren in your Importantville newsletter. You've set out the first power rankings here uh, in this race for governor. So we're going to go through these here today. Uh, let's start with the Democrats here. You, you've got in, in the six through ten, you've got Shelley Yoder, Josh Owens, Bart Peterson, Tom McDermott, J.D. Ford. Tom McDermott just told you he actually may be running for Senate, right? That's right. Uh, we talked uh, earlier this week, and he is certainly riding, uh, eyeing a run against uh, Republican Senator Todd Young. Well, let's go through some of the other names on our list here as we look at uh, candidates uh, three, four, and five in your power rankings. Uh, we'll move ahead and look at uh, number three. You've got Christina Hale, who, of course, ran for House this past year. Jennifer McCormick, Eddie Melton. Some interesting names there who, who may or may not be looking at, at a race for governor, right? Yeah, we know that Hale is the deputy uh, uh, Democratic director for candidate recruitment. She's someone who gets around the state, talks to a lot of people. Jennifer McCormick is someone that Democrats are increasingly talking, talking about as someone who could run for governor. And she's been out on that tour touting uh, the American Rescue Plan. I actually just spoke with her on Friday about her sort of campaigning more or less here with Democrats and whether or not she's actually switched parties. Here's what she told me. Right now, I feel like the Democrat Party for, yes, I have switched parties. I feel like they are very people-centric. They're very people-oriented. I think they are showing a lot of compassion. I have no plans right now of running for anything, but I've always been clear that I will help those who are really doing the right thing for people and for kids and for our communities. I'm not ruling it out there, really, anytime someone says they're not running for anything. And she has now said she switched parties. Somebody to keep an eye on there, maybe. We'll see. Absolutely. Here's your top two on the list. That's right. You've got the mayor of Indianapolis, who, sitting on nearly $2 million in the bank, um, could run again for mayoral re-election re in 2023, but someone who has eyed statewide office in the past. Uh, and you've got Joe Donnelly, the hardest-working man in Indiana politics, Democratic politics, to be certain. He's all around the state. He was in Terre on, on Friday. Too. That's yeah. right. Uh, someone who wants to, you know, has the ability... Yeah 
for the center of the party to kind of win. Let's look at the list here for Republicans that you've lined up. Uh, five through nine here. Trey Hollingsworth, Eric Doten, who's already said he's running. Jim Banks, Scott Fadness, Jim Merritt, who has talked with us about a potential run. Uh, let's look at the next uh, group here. You've got two through four. You've got current chair Kyle Hupfer, Todd Rokita, the attorney general, Senator Mike Braun. You've definitely got all three of these guys on the news a lot. And then your number one candidate potentially on the list, Suzanne Crouch, lieutenant governor. She's raised a lot of money here in recent yeah, years. Yeah, she's raised a lot of money. She's been close to Holcomb. She comes from Evansville and I think has a lot of sway within the within the party right now. Okay, let's bring in uh, our panel now, the rest of our panel, to talk about these uh, power rankings. We're joined by former Democratic State Party Chair Robin Winston, <laughs> Tony Samuel, who was 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign, and Dr. Laura Wilson from the University of Indianapolis. Uh, let's just start with you, Laura, just broadly on the fact that we're talking about the 2024 race for governor is kind of interesting, but I don't think we're getting too far ahead of ourselves, though we're often known to do that in political uh, punditry circles. These candidates are already positioning themselves in a number of key ways. They absolutely are. And in fact, have probably been doing so for months, if not years. The reason this is important conversation is because we know it won't be Holcomb, but we also know there's been a lot of talk at state government recently in terms of the power of the governor, perhaps versus the attorney general, perhaps versus the state legislature. This is a, obviously an important office. And I think the last 14 and 15 months have just reaffirmed that. So as we look at these names floating about, and no doubt people will be hearing more of some of these names in the future. And I imagine and uh, it's quite possible that future candidates, if not the future governor of Indiana, is one of the names we're discussing right now. Yeah, very well could be the case. Uh, Tony, I'm going to turn to you next because Laura made that point that all of these legal battles and everything playing out right now uh, in this uh, post-pandemic or end of the pandemic process here, it's caused a lot of political friction within the Republican Party that's sort of already perhaps put candidates in a certain trajectory or put them in a lane that might lead them one way or another to try to appeal to a primary uh, electorate, too, in 2024. Yeah, well, I would say that it's still a long ways from now to 2024. It is good and, and fun to, to talk about. Um, what, I, what I would look at, a couple different factors. One, who has the name ID and the ability to continue getting the name ID, getting media attention, between now and 2024, and also have those folks been getting it already? Todd Rokita certainly has as Secretary of State, as a congressman running for the U.S. Senate seat in 2018, and he is now uh, in his uh, in his battles with the governor, and, and I think he'll continue to. He's adept at that. Uh, same with um, uh, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, who's also a great fundraiser. I was at an event for her uh, earlier this week, and, and very well attended. She's doing that all across the state. Um, she's very popular with local officials. And uh, then there's others. There's another tier um, that are maybe less well known, but very smart, and very successful people. Uh, I would put uh, uh, former Senator Jim Merritt in that category and, and uh, Eric Doden from Fort Wayne, who used to be one of the leaders at IEDC. Then there's the folks that maybe uh, just the inside baseball people um, uh, that follow kind of uh, on the inside might know. And, and I put Kyle Hupford, uh, the state chairman, who's very close to, to Governor Holcomb in that category. Yeah. But one thing that I want to mention, there's a couple of folks that are big money players, uh, and they're also in our congressional delegation. Those are Congressman Trey Hollingsworth and uh, U.S. Senator Mike Braun. They might, both might sure. be looking at the governor's so, race, and that would make it you know, really interesting between big money right, and name. Right, right. So real quick, who would you put at the top of your list right now? 
I put Suzanne Crouch at the Suzanne Crouch, just as Adam did. Okay. Experience and uh, and her popularity around the state. Robin, uh, looking at the list that that Adam put together, the power rankings for the Democrats. What did you make of that list? What changes would you make to it? Who do you think is at the top of that list right now? Well, thank you for making me soon to be chairman of the Hurt Feelings Club. Um, (laughs) There's no way to avoid this. Um, I would think Joe Donnelly is at the top of the list. Uh, We were with him in Fort Wayne. He's in Terre Haute tonight. I talked to him this afternoon. He's driving over 70 today to make his way there. Very well known, very well positioned. Keep Eddie Melton in mind because of the diversity he brings to the ticket, not just by race, but by being from Lake County, where between Lake and Marion, one of every four votes in the state are cast. So please keep that in mind. And also keep former uh, Attorney General Karen Freeman Wilson in mind, former Mayor of Gary. Okay. No, good names to keep in mind there uh, for certain. Um, Adam, as you know, you look at what people are telling you about about who may or may not be on this list, as we said with Lori, it's just, it's just kind of fascinating that we are talking about it already, but, but certainly a lot of these battles, uh, to Tony's point, with someone like Todd Rokita certainly puts him out front and center, and he's certainly been positioning himself front and center on a lot of issues here lately. Absolutely. I was told by one Republican that he's trying to put together a coalition of sort of out-state Republicans, Republicans outside the Donut County, uh, to support him. Uh, And so, you know, we cannot not watch him uh, the next four years. One of the reasons why we're jumping to 2024, I think, so quickly is because, in in many ways, 2022 is a foregone conclusion for Republicans because of the current environment that we're in. Todd Young, you feel like he can't be be beat from this vantage point. uh, I think He's the mo- of all of the uh, incumbents up for re-election in 2022, as you look across the map in the U.S., I think he's the most difficult incumbent to beat. He did have, uh, Todd Young, a piece of legislation uh, this past week, bipartisan <clears throat> piece of legislation uh, dealing with competition with China, the Endless Frontier Act, uh, which didn't have a ton of, it was bipartisan, but didn't yeah. have a ton of Republican support, Tony. That was a bill Senator Braun voted against and a number of others uh, in this potential uh, gubernatorial primary uh, from this far out, spoke out against Jim Banks, for instance, also opposed that bill from Senator Todd Young. Well, I think I think uh, it's a good bill. Um, it did get bipartisan support, I think, as you noted earlier, 68 to 32. Anything that's uh, putting a focus on China and uh, our, our rivalry, we'll, we'll, we'll use that word for now, uh, with China and increasing education and training for uh, American workers to take on uh, the Chinese and, and tech and, and so many other ways. China has made it their mission uh, to over, overcome over and pass the U.S. militarily, economically. Okay. We have to be aware of that, and this is a step yeah. in the right direction. All right, Tony, thanks. Our panel's going to be back uh, coming up in just a few minutes for this week's Winners and Losers. But up next, we're talking about the race to vaccinate more Hoosiers, especially in younger age groups. We'll talk with local health officials up next. Well, have you seen these billboards here? A new vaccination campaign is in the works in Marion County, aimed specifically at younger Hoosiers, that age group lagging behind in getting the vaccine, even when compared to our neighboring states. Bianca Reyes has more this morning. Hoosiers aged 20 to 29 are falling behind when it comes to getting vaccinated, a trend Dr. Granis with Regan Street Institute says he saw coming. We saw um, very rapid uptake by the older populations because they experienced the risk. They experienced those outcomes, and I think they saw the value of immunizations. In Indiana, only 28% of Hoosiers aged 20 to 29 are fully vaccinated at this point. Meanwhile, in neighboring Ohio, that number is 5% higher at 32%. In Michigan, it's 31%. As the older population gets vaccinated, where can the disease spread? 
Where, where can COVID spread? It will spread now among more among the younger people. That's why in Marion County, health officials are making a targeted push to get more young Hoosiers vaccinated. Our 20 to 39 year olds, they make up more than 43% of our new cases. We need to encourage vaccinations among this population. The new campaign launches this weekend with targeted Google ads and billboards. Dr. Kane says incentives will also be available starting this Saturday at Arsenal Tech. Somebody's going to go come away with a $250 gift card from Simon Mall. We got some other prizes too. It's all in an effort to vaccinate a population that's lagging behind older adults. As you can see in this graph, when compared to other generations, in some cases, 20 to 29 year olds are getting their shots at less than half the rate. So we still have a tremendous amount of education we've got to get out to them because vaccinating younger Hoosiers protects all Hoosiers. You may not get sick, but you can unknowingly spread the infection to a loved one. In Indianapolis, I'm Bianca Reyes. Okay, stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. Time to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Adam, I'll start with you. Uh, winner uh, this week, Todd Young with the Endless Frontier Act, could be the first line of his obituary, even though he's only 48 years old. This is a really significant piece of legislation. Laura? I agree with Adam, and the only other thing I would add to this as both a winner and a loser are the conversations we're having in terms of education, whether it's critical race theory or vaccines. These are important, so winners for discussing it, but also we need to make sure that we're considering not just personal priorities, but social issues as well. Okay. Tony? I agree also, Senator Todd Young, for what's been stated earlier on the show and from the other two, but also Purdue engineers who have figured out how to use refrigeration, developed a refrigerator for folks uh, on the space station. That's really important with all the UFOs that are out there right now. Tony loves talking space, right? That's ever since Space Force. Robin? The winner's got to be Joe Biden. I mean, he's representing America abroad. We have a president that is stable, a president that we're going to build allies with all across the world. The other winner is, once again, the Biden administration, a half million um, doses going out to help combat coronavirus across the world. That's fantastic. That's where we're going to leave things this week. Thanks so much for joining us this Sunday in Focus. We'll see you next week.